0: All the Things You Prayed For Chapter 17 The Shadow of the Valley of Death Content warning, the second section of this chapter includes a mention of suicidal ideation from the narrator's point of view. Loop's glad the Helijet has an autopilot function because she's not sure she could safely pilot it. Her hands won't stop shaking. She's certain that Taco's already headed to Jersey City, and her brain is screaming that she's going the wrong way, that she shouldn't be heading to D.C. to pick Kravitz up, that she should say fuck back up and head straight for the base, because what if she misses Taco? She's not sure she would make it to D.C. if she was the one driving. Loop sits in the back of the helijet and goes over her files again. She focuses on strategy, It doesn't make sense to go to a hunger base without backup. Barry could come, but Kravitz is better at infiltration. He's a spy. If they manage to beat Taco to the base, she doesn't want to tip him off that they're there. If she went alone, she'd definitely clue him in and he'd bolt. If she took him in a fight, she's not sure which of them would win. She already knows she's not going to fight him, If they're going to bring him home, that means having the element of surprise on their hands. She can't talk to Taco if he runs before she gets a chance to see him. She's been trying to catch Taco since 1944. She's not going to let the hunger get him again. The helichet lands on top of RQ and Istis's apartment building, looped, Kind of been hoping Kravitz would be on the roof waiting for her, ready to hop into the jet so they could head out. But there's no one there, just a patch of concrete. Her phone buzzes in her pocket. Loop pulls it out to glance at the screen. It's a text from Kravitz. (gasps) OMW. At least, he's not wasting time spelling out whole words. Loop tucks her phone away again and opens the back of the helijet. She can't stop fidgeting. Waiting for Kravitz to walk up the stairs isn't going to kill her, even if the nagging feeling to go sits at the back of her mind, making every second that passes feel like an hour. It's fine. The roof access door opens up and Kravitz steps out, RQ and Istis behind. RQ raises a hand in greeting. She's wearing pajama pants and a purple sweater hair wrapped up in a satin scarf. It occurs to Loop that she probably could have asked RQ for backup on this mission, too, but she was so focused on Taco that she'd kind of... forgotten. She hadn't even known that RQ was back in the country. Hey, Cap, RQ says. Kravitz says you had a breakthrough? He's going to Jersey City, Loop says. There's a hungered base there that we haven't cleared yet. Jersey City is awfully close to Manhattan, Loop," Kravitz says, taking an elastic Istis offers him so he can tie up his hair. Are you sure that's where he's going? Loop had time to go over her reasoning on the way down from Manhattan, examining her theory from all angles, making sure her logic made sense. And it does. Maybe not to other people, people who don't know Taco, but she knows her brother. Taco's clever and strategic, an excellent tactician. The history books like to focus on that, but they miss the part where he's impatient as all fuck, too. Everyone writes Taco as being willing to wait. 24 years of living with the guy makes Loop uniquely qualified to say that he definitely isn't. Taco isn't the Winter Soldier anymore, Or not fully, anyway. He's reclaiming himself one dead hunger agent at a time, and that means he's no longer some cold, unfeeling super soldier. He's angry, and he's lost, and he's lashing out. He's getting revenge. I'm sure, Loop says. He's... You might know the Winter Soldier, Krav, but I know Taco. And that's who we're chasing now. He's gonna be in Jersey. She can tell that Kravitz is still skeptical. He nods anyway. If you're sure, I trust your instincts. I'm sure. Cool, says RQ, and then pats Kravitz on the back. Krav, you better come back and visit us again soon. You still owe us a week and a half. You need to take a break more often. Istis, wrapped cozily in a cardigan that looks about two sizes too big for her, offers Kravitz a hug. "'We get it. You're a superhero now, but RQ still finds time to come home.' Kravitz hugs Istis back. "'I'll visit again soon,' he promises. "'I'm fine.' "Uh "'Uh-huh!' RQ gives Kravitz a skeptical look. "'Totally fine!' Sure, I shouldn't come. Kravitz rolls his eyes and gives RQ a hug, too. I'll let you know how the mission goes. Good luck with whatever Lucretia's got you doing now. I think I'm on vacation, RQ says. Or unemployed? Hard to say, considering, you know, the whole shield being run by Nazis thing. I figure I'll hang until Lucretia reaches out to me. You two going to be good? They'll be fine, Istis says, wrapping an arm around RQ's waist. She smiles at Loop. Good luck with your brother. Loop likes Istis a lot. Her and RQ are cute. If they had more time, Loop would linger on the roof, so she could tease Kravitz about them walking him to the jet and then hugging him goodbye. She knows they're his family already but it's so domestic. It's nice that Kravitz has this. Loop's sorry to be pulling him away so soon after the hearings, but they need to move if they're going to catch Taco. I'll bring him down to visit, Loop says, with more confidence than she feels. Once he's a little less, uh, murderous. I wrote a book report on him when I was a kid, RQ says. I thought he was cool. Taco will be so smug if he ever finds that out. He'll be unbearable. Loop can't fucking wait. She grins at RQ. You can tell him all about it. He'll love you. I'll keep that in mind. RQ smiles back at her. Seems like being on his good side is the right move. Fly safely, kids. I'm older than you, Kravitz says, flicking RQ's arm on his way up the ramp into the heli-jet. Don't stay out past your curfew, RQ calls after him. Make good choices. Kravitz flips her off, and she laughs, turning her attention back to Loop. Seriously, Kep, I'd love to meet him when he's ready to be met. Good luck out there. When talk is ready... Right. Tacos been through a lot. The man they bring back to Manhattan might not be the taco she remembers. He'll probably need time to heal. Maybe a lot of it. Loop and Kravitz are going to need all the luck they can get. Loop still has faith in her hunch and in their abilities. Thanks, she says. But I think Istis is right. We're going to be fine. He takes the train to Jersey City. Just another anonymous face with an upturned collar, hands scrunched securely in his coat pockets. He's cold all the time, even with the new clothes. His metal arm is always cold, too. The coat gives him some bulk. He's lost weight. It's good. More space to hide weapons. He has three guns holstered underneath it, a knife up each sleeve, and at the small of his back one in each boot. Lock picks, a blow dart, a Swiss army knife he picked up for the hell of it. The Hunger Base is near the train station. He had held off on visiting because Jersey City is across from Manhattan, too close to the Avengers for comfort. He's held off on visiting because of... He shivers. He's running out of bases, though. He feels on edge more so than usual. When he looks out of the window he can see hall winter tower and its massive a a thought rises unbidden he hopes loop is there and not out looking for him he crushes it the train comes to a shuddering stop nj transit this stop is jersey city a pleasant woman's voice says he stands hefting his backpack on his shoulders He exits the train in the crowd, the rustle of fabric, shoes slapping against the linoleum. Too many people. He doesn't do well in crowds. He's not that sort of spy. He filches a candy bar from someone's purse anyway, munching it as he heads towards the base. He sticks the wrapper in his coat pocket instead of throwing it out. Sidewalks. More people. Keeping his head down. And his ears alert until the hunger base looks like any other building kind of grimy there's something strange though it takes him a moment to realize the windows are lit up in a pattern morris code two windows for a dash single one for a dot a simple code one his handlers used years ago He sits on a bench across the street to puzzle out the message. It reads, Welcome. He frowns. There must be a hunger agent inside, one that knows that someone is snuffing bases out one by one. Maybe one of his handlers, the last rat on the sinking ship, scrounging at the crumbs. Or maybe waiting for him. A trap for him or for the Avengers. It doesn't matter. He walks in through the front door. The first floor opens into a sterile lobby. Nobody at the desk. The lights dim, dimmer than they should be during the workday. The Morse code was assigned, then. This confirms it. He doesn't draw a weapon yet. No point broadcasting his tells. He walks with purpose, like the Winter Soldier walks. If it's a trap for him, it will not be on the first floor. If it's a trap for Captain America, they will be underestimating her. They think she's a relic. He knows better. She'd easily escape any trap they'd set for her, and, by extension, he'll be able to escape too. It's no big fucking deal. Nothing happens as he walks across the lobby. No lights flicker ominously. No operatives spring out from the ceiling or from behind a false wall. No music or voice blare from the intercom. He supposes the hunger isn't bothering with the psychological warfare against NASA. They'd probably have something more elegant than a fist fight for him. Maybe he's culled their ranks to the point that overpowering him with their forces is unlikely. He stands in front of the elevator and presses the down button. It dings. All hunger bases have a standardized elevator protocol. The upper floors are for legitimate businesses, sometimes fronts, sometimes shield offices, sometimes poor saps who don't know their basement is being colonized by an international terrorist organization. He presses eight twice, B1, eight twice again, the close button, and jams himself against the wall that the entrance is situated on. If there are combatants, they'll see an empty elevator, which should give him a few moments to get the drop on them. The elevator moves smoothly, downwards, further than just going to the basement would suggest. He does not know how deep the hunger builds their bases, it always takes a full minute for him to descend. The elevator door opens. The base is empty, tidy, desks and chairs and the detritus of meetings. He cannot hear anyone. He steps out. He does not bother to gentle the sound of his boots. The elevator had dinged. He circles the whole floor. It is deserted, quiet, and the only sound of his own breath to keep him company. At the westernmost end of the floor there is a door. It is labeled, Authorized Authorized Technicians Technicians only. Only. The bottom drops out of his stomach. He knows what is behind that door. Leaving is starting to look good. Beyond the door is the chair. It receives the capitalization in his mind. The chair is where they would strap him down like a dumb animal, and they would tilt his head back and press a mouth guard between his teeth and the headpiece to his skull, the electrodes hovering above his scalp, and he would close his eyes. They would tell him, "'Keep your eyes closed, soldier,' And he remembers in the past they would tell him in Russian, This is a gift we are giving you, soldier, the dreamless sleep. And he would acquiesce, as pliant as a child, except when he had to be dragged there, because of the nightmarish terror pulsing its way through his veins, and then he would be sedated and strapped down, and when he awoke they would tell him, Keep your eyes closed, soldier. And he would acquiesce because he does not remember what else he was supposed to do. He could not want... He remembers this now. It turns his blood to ice. But it would be good after the procedure. There would be a strange clarity in his mind, a haziness that was almost euphoric. It wouldn't matter that they were putting him in cryofreeze, that the technicians were manhandling him as he stared into the middle distance. He wouldn't remember their names or the details of his last mission." They'd press him into the chamber and close the clear door over him. They'd tell him, Keep your eyes closed, soldier, and hold your breath. And he would watch the frost patterns on the glass until his eyelids grew too heavy to keep open, and the numbness spread its way up his fingers and down his chest, the cold like a blanket pulled over him. Then he would feel nothing at all. There must be a tube behind the door as well. He wonders if it's not too late to leave the base, to jam himself back in the elevator and ride it to the top floor and shatter a window and jump out with all his knives and guns, weighing him down until... splat. He killed three or four men this way years ago. It is easy to fake a suicide. A suicide would be preferable to the chair, the tube... He grimaces at the thought of it rising, unbidden in his mind. That would be visible, that would catch Captain America's attention, and if she comes to this base the hunger might capture her, And then it would be Loop in the chair, sedated, closing her eyes, Loop in the tube. So there's no easy out. Nowhere to go but through. He swallows nervously. A tick, one burned out of him years ago. Resurfacing. He's growing sloppy. Soon he won't be the greatest assassin in the world anymore. Even if it's all stupid fucking propaganda. He opens the door. The chair. The tube. Both loom in front of him, shadowed in the half-light. The lab is dimly lit, like every other room he's been through. He walks in, and like the crack of a gunshot cutting through the silence that hung heavy over the rest of the building, he hears clapping. He whips out a handgun and points it at the direction of the noise, pulling the trigger. The bullet smashes through a speaker. Na soldier, always so eager,' a voice says fondly from the opposite corner. "'Sorry, just one of my little tricks.'" When he turns towards the voice, it resolves into a man, sitting behind a laptop in the far corner of the room. The man's face is unfamiliar. He's wearing a well-tailored suit. He's a stranger." but there's something about him that is reminiscent. He points his gun at the man, but doesn't shoot. There must be more tricks. This voice is familiar. It's one of his old handlers, he realizes, one who often stood over him while he was wiped, who gave him the mission dossiers and told him almost languidly, get the job done who sometimes gave him sweets after a mission well completed. He'd wanted those candies badly. He couldn't fathom the idea of buying them for himself. I thought about waiting in a swivel chair and turning to greet you, but it seemed awfully melodramatic, the handler says. He's never known this man's name. Did you get my message? The soldier does not say anything. He keeps his aim steady. The handler closes his laptop. I'll admit that was rather dramatic of me as well, but sometimes you have to have fun with these assignments or what's the point? It doesn't really matter, does it? You're here. That's all I needed, so. Spucknik. Nightshade. Icker. The handler's voice turns cold and precise, With his last three words, he enunciates correctly. The soldier feels his muscles grow slack. He falls to the floor in a heap, reeling from the cascade trigger bouncing its way around his skull. The tile is cool under his cheek, smashed against it. His bones ache. His head hurts where it hit the floor. He hadn't remembered the triggers. He hadn't remembered that he had triggers at all. He has a brain like a sieve, like a fruitcake studded with nuts, and what's the fucking use of it if he keeps forgetting important shit? These were old phrases, all in Russian. Ones that turned his bones to water. Ones that left him loose and helpless. Ones that dropped him to the floor like all his strings were cut a contingency plan for his handlers. He hears the footsteps of the handler walking closer. Strong hands grip him underneath the armpits, hauling him, head lolling towards the chair. If he could physically hyperventilate he would, but the trigger words smooth everything over. His bodily functions are not his own. He feels small. Of course he would be caught. There was no other choice. He is always returned to the tube. He is a weapon. He should not have dared to want. His boots scrape against the floor. His handgun is left sitting on the floor like a stone. The handler chats idly as he lifts the soldier into the chair. Thank goodness that worked. I don't know what I would have done if it hadn't. He places the soldier solidly into the seat, lifts the dead weight of the soldier's thighs, and jostles him into position. You've been quite naughty, soldier. What do you do when you're let loose? You turn on your handlers. That isn't your place. He strips off the soldier's shirt, not without some awkwardness. He places electrodes in strategic locations. He puts an arm on each armrest, straps them both down, winds a strap around the soldier's stomach. No, your place is right here. He taps the soldier's bare stomach playfully, then runs a hand Over the soldier's ribs, he frowns. Not so good at taking care of yourself, are you? What have you been eating? Or, rather, what happened to you? He laughs at his own joke. (laughs) Easily fixed, I suppose. The handler turns to the machinery. Presumably, he presses some buttons. The soldier cannot see. He is stuck, staring at the ceiling. At least the handler has not clamped the headpiece down. One moment, soldier, the handler calls. It needs to warm up, and I've forgotten your mouth guard, not that you need your tongue. More sounds of puttering. The handler hums. The soldier does not move. The soldier's mind feels like a black hit. He should have put himself down the moment he left the tower. Stupid. How could he forget? How could he not? What else is he forgetting? The Handler returns. The hunger is dead, well, dying, the Handler says conversational, as if he is remarking on the weather. He opens the soldier's mouth and slips the mouthguard between his teeth. He forces him to bite. But you and I will do quite well for ourselves. There's all sorts of opportunities these days, if you've got the right publicity. Perhaps we'd take out the Avengers first. I'm sure they're coming for you. The captain has been making waves. The handler waves carelessly. Soldiers, playing at being spies. Spucknick, nightshade, icker. A trigger cascade a half-century old. A passphrase from another era. The soldier is a couple months out of cryo. This is longer than any time since 1966. The soldier has grown new cells. The soldier has pruned away old ones. The soldier is jolting to attention because if this bastard thinks he's going to use Taco to attack Loop, he's got another thing coming. That's his fucking sister. That's the other half of his fucking heart. That's the only good thing left in the godforsaken fucked up hellscape that is his life. Homeboy's gonna find himself on the wrong fucking end of a sniper rifle with his face full of wham. And Taka's metal arm shoots upwards. It snaps the restraint around its wrist. Barry Hallwinter does excellent work. Taka's metal fingers clench around the handler's neck. The handler chokes. His eyes bug out. He scrambles against the arm. It is unyielding. The handler wheezes. Taco tries to lift his other arm, move his head. He can't. Only the metal one. The one they gave him. And how's that for dramatic irony, you motherfuckers? Soldier, you don't know what you're doing. You have been criminally misused. We take it away. Start fresh. Clean slate. It is what you were made for. The handler's voice is raspy, urgent as his hands scramble for purchase on the arm. Not loop, Taco says. He realizes he can speak, even if the words are awkward in his mouth. You want to defect? They've offered you sanctuary? Don't be an idiot! What do they want you for? Better, the devil you know, soldier. The handler grins, a rictus grin. He's wheezing. Come now, we've always been friends. The sentence ends more like a sigh than a statement. Taco needs to snap the handler's neck. Taco is tired of snapping necks. If he doesn't snap the handler's neck, if he chokes him to unconsciousness and lets him go, the handler might awaken before Taco has full control over his faculties. That would suck. The handler smiles wider. She will use you as well, soldier. The bat, Taco crushes his hand closed. There is an audible snap. The sharp edge of Taco's hand pierces the handler's throat, his jugular, spurting blood. Taco still can't move, but he loosens his grip on the now limp body, with its skull like a bobblehead in his hand. It falls on his legs and stays there. He can feel the warm, wet weight of it, like a lover. He still cannot look down. He still can't wipe the blood off his face. She wouldn't do that, Taco mumbles to no one. I'm not your fucking friend. The handler's corpse bleeds out all over him. THE END OF CHAPTER SEVENTEEN